Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is our mini-episode where we talk about things that are in the news, things that we find interesting, fun stuff we've done lately. This is really a catch-all episode. Yep. <laughs> this is just to hold you over until Monday, guys. Yeah, really. It's just like a little taste. A little taste. It's like an appetizer. The sounds of our annoying Valley Girl voices. Yep. Here we are. Oh my god, my vocal fry has gotten so our, uh, I sound like a pure, pure Valley Girl. Which I do, too. I shouldn't be that surprised by. I mean, I've been living in L.A. for... Like, seven years? The way you just said, I've been living in L.A. for, yeah, like, seven that's years. That's just my voice. I know! I can't! I do, I do, I just talked really loudly, I'm sorry. I do the same thing. It's, it's, uh, it's great. My vocal fry has increased, I mean, listen, yeah, a your million fries. thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I'm not <laughs> trying, guys! No, listen, this is just <sighs> our voices. I'm sure that people might think we're putting this on. But trust me, I wish I was. Yeah. I'm not. This is really just how I sound. I'm just this annoying. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> we've got... I love you, Keegan. <laughs> I love you, too. Um, we've got some stuff in the news. Unfortunately, I don't know what's wrong with me. I am just... Uh, everything I save is just sad and awful. Yeah. So, I guess we should... There's just no... So, let's, let's jump right in. Okay. So, I will start with the saddest... And most awful. Okay, let's okay, do so gradually get saddest, down. and then we'll do creepy because I have one creepy one. Okay, and then and we'll, I have one just oh that sucks. And then we'll get into some lighthearted. After okay, that. good, good, good. Okay, okay, I like we have a plan. We've That's got great. a plan. Lovely. So this is the saddest thing. Okay, Marielle Knoll, an 85 year old Jewish Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm was stabbed 11 times mm-hmm. and burned to death in a vicious anti-Semitic attack in Paris. She was one of the only survivors of the Veldehiv Roundup, a mass arrest of French Jews in 1942 carried out by the French police forces collaborating with the Nazis. That's so upsetting so, to me. To survive something so horrible right. and to die still in such a brutal, anti-Semitic attack. Way. Like, you've lived... All of your life, you've managed to escape the Nazis. You managed to escape, you know, anti-Semitism in Paris, in your home um, city, where they were rounded up. And probably have to spend her entire life trying to... Get over that. Get over that. And, you know, victim... uh, Or, like, having... What is it? Survivor's guilt. Yeah, survivor's guilt and and just sheer trauma. Yeah, and having to work through that. And then to still be brutally murdered by... For being Jewish. Nazis. Yeah, the In su- 2018. The, like, yeah, and fuck that. here are the details, so just trigger warning to everyone. Um, the savages who murdered this sweet old lady set fire to her apartment, ensuring that her children and grandchildren have no family photos or mementos to remember her by. One of the killers was a neighbor who Marielle had befriended since childhood. 
After years of ignoring the growing anti-Semitism in their midst, the French seem to be waking up to the problem. Thousands of Parisians marched yesterday in honor of Marielle and, stand, uh, and standing up to hatred and terror. President Emmanuel Macron attended her funeral. So there have been protests and marches and um, things going on in Paris in honor of her memory. It's just so devastating, and I, my heart, like, I'm getting kind of, like, teary-eyed right now. I because know, I just had to stop myself from crying. her family. Uh, to me, that they not only are brutally murdering this woman, who is... I know she was just a force. And to have... To, serve, to, to destroy yeah. all the photos so yeah. that those memories and everything are gone to me. I'm the photo keeper of my family. I have I have a photo from everything that you can possibly talk about yeah. with my family. I'm like, oh, you want to see the picture of my mom when she came home from the hospital? Got it on my phone. Yeah. You know? And so to me, that's such an important part of my history is my photographs. Mm-hmm. And I imagine all of them being burned and taken away because of someone's just pure hatred toward not a person in particular, but an entire group of people. Group of mm-hmm. people. Yeah. That they could be so vile mm-hmm. that they're like, we're going to get rid of everything. I've been a huge, I've talked about this before, I've been a huge. Um, I always, I, I always want to say a fan. I'm not a fan of like World War II and the Holocaust, clearly. But I've, I've been a saying, fan though. of the literature and uh, learning about it. Very it's something, interested in thank it. Thank you. It's something that I've always been very, very, very fascinated by and wanted to learn more about. And it's been something that's always like really been like triggering to me for some reason. And well, it's horrific. I think it's it I is. It's a prime example of how horrifying this world can be yeah. and, how, and what people are truly capable of. I think yeah. that's the ultimate example. And the fact that so many people believe that this kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Or that or it didn't that, happen at that, all. Exactly. Or that it didn't happen is so upsetting to me when you see... I mean, we've seen so many prime examples of anti-Semitism on our fucking Instagram page this week. Yeah, anti-Semitism, um, lots of anti-LGBTQ. yeah messages it just i mean a lot of anti latino messages on our Emma Gonzalez page just yeah it's just it's just hard to reconcile that people are so full of hate yeah and i did make a facebook status about to me and this is something that i guess we can go right into this this was not something i was planning on talking about but um the independent autopsy for Stefan Clark mm-hmm. was released he was shot at 20 times but only hit eight times, with six of those being in the back and two of those being after he was already down on the ground. So we have this information and, you know, kind of piggyback on the terribleness of of people and in comments. It's that on the one hand, you have people bending over backwards on our Facebook page trying to defend this in a way, whether they believe it or not, they're trying to defend Nicholas Cruz, right? Like, they're saying, like, well, Emma Gonzalez is just as guilty because no one was his buddy. Like, no one yeah. was his friend. Um, trying to humanize this person that took the lives of 17 people. And then you see the terribleness when you go onto the comment pages for um, Stefan Clark and you see people saying things like, well, why did he run? If he hadn't done this, if he hadn't done that, he wouldn't be dead. What was he doing? He, he was obviously being suspicious. Stop fucking victim blaming Yeah, people. so you're, you're bending over backwards you to also, humanize a killer and to demonize a victim. Yeah. You know, and I just, 
to me, it's so hard to reconcile this yeah. amount of like it's lack for of some reason people have to rationalize things in their in their minds because they have to, to fit make sense their worldview. Well, yeah. and because they and because maybe to them that's the that's easier for them to swallow and to accept than the world is really just that evil. You know what I mean? Like I, I mean, feel like sometimes people want to blame another person so that the fault isn't entirely on the... Well, they're trying to fit it into their worldview so that they feel safe. You want to believe that Stefan Clark did something inherently wrong yes. to get himself killed because you don't want to believe to validate that his cops could, could make this kind of fatal mistake. Yeah. You don't want to believe that because then if you believe that, then you have to acknowledge that maybe you're not as safe as you think you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we want to believe that you know, Nicholas Cruz wasn't just a hateful white supremacist who went and killed a bunch of people, but that he was a deeply damaged young man who suffered from severe loneliness, and that's why he did what he did. Because if you believe that, then you can make yourself believe that you can just be nice to people, and then they yeah. won't kill a bunch of people. Yeah. It's not how the world works, no. and it's really sad and devastating. Yeah. But I just wanted to bring up Marielle, so, you know, rest in peace, Marielle. Rest in peace, Stefan Clark. Yep. This world is a shithole. I'm just kidding. It's not. But I actually just re- remembered that I wrote a whole little thing last night about people who are using um, mental illness as the reason. It's very, it's very hard for me to take. Honestly, and, it's one well, of the hardest things for me to have to f- fucking listen to on our Facebook page or our Instagram page. Would you mind if I shared? Because this is kind of like my story that no, I go spewed ahead. out. Okay, so I wrote last night. I had maybe had a couple of drinks, but this is definitely very, very lucid in maybe my memory. Maybe or definitely. I definitely had a few <laughs> drinks, but at this point I was I was sobered up a little bit. And Great. Definitely part of my lucid mind. So I said, to those who are using mental illness as the cause of school shootings, I have a message. I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder at the age of 10. I was diagnosed with depression at 15. I endured bullying for most of my life, which caused me to leave two schools. The first time, bullying from my teachers for not understanding my panic attacks and anxiety once I was actually locked in a classroom to be yelled at and berated. And the second, because the emotional and physical abuse at my school got so bad that I spent the second half of eighth grade homeschooled. I spent most lunch hours in middle school by myself reading the funnies in the newspaper. I spent most recesses with younger kids that with kids who were younger than me playing Foursquare because the kids in my grade either didn't want to play with me or I didn't fit in with them. I was given death threats, boys pretended to like me so the girls could make fun of me, and I was physically injured by a fellow classmate, but I never used a gun to get back at them. My parents didn't have a gun, and I didn't have any way to get a hold of one, and it never crossed my mind. I could have been considered mentally ill, slicing the insides of my arms, hurting so badly inside, but I never hurt another person. I was bullied, but instead of seeking revenge, ten years later, when one bully reached out to me about suffering with an eating disorder, I helped her get the support and treatment she needed. Mentally ill people are not homicidal bad people. They are not bad and scary people. Mentally ill people with guns could hurt themselves and others, though. I hope we can create a better world for those who are mentally ill, but in order for school shootings to end, our gun laws have to change. And I think, for me, what's really upsetting, and that guy... That's really nice. Thank you. But that guy at the march said the same thing. Like, I am mentally ill. That doesn't mean that I am inherently bad. Well, and again, we've said this before, mentally ill people, like, you experienced a lot of bullying... Mentally ill people are more likely to be on the receiving end of mm-hmm. violence than they are to perpetrate violence themselves. Yeah. So oh that excuse bugs me so much. Yeah. Because 
and like we've, I mean, we said this so many times, and I wonder if people are getting sick of hearing us talk about this, but it it bothers me so much also because they like to say that he did this because he was bullied. Yeah. And if that was the case, you would see more people who are routinely bullied, like trans people, gay people, people of color in white spaces, you would see more of these people committing these acts of violence. Nicholas Cruz was... It's possible he was mentally ill. I haven't heard anything, yeah, you know, no doctor specifically. Has said anything. But it's possible that he was suffering from a lot of, of mental illnesses. That is that is possible. Yeah. But more than anything else, what I do know about him is that he was a hateful yep. white supremacist who loved violence. Yep. That is the issue that we need to be combating. Exactly. It's not that, you know, bullying sucks. It's terrible. You were bullied. Yeah. I was bullied. It's horrible, and it yeah. is it is damaging. But, and I also think that, like, a lot of times people who are bullied have to work so hard on kind of learning to love people again a yeah. little bit. I feel yeah. like a lot of times it doesn't turn people hateful. Like, for me, when the girl, one of the girls who bullied me the most was actually my second cousin. Uh-huh. And she was the one that reached out to me when I was in treatment, actually, because uh, I was always very, very open with my struggles. And she said, you know... I can't tell anybody, but, you know, I have an eating disorder. It's never been diagnosed, but I, you know, kind of opened up to me. And I had the choice to either completely ignore her, tell her to fuck off, Mm -hmm. block her, or I could be a bigger person, know how badly she's suffering, and know that because she had tried to hurt me so many times years ago, it's because she was really hurting herself as well. Yeah, And And I think... A lot of bullies, or a lot of people who have been bullied, where people like to say that they're going to act out in violence, in what I've found is that a lot of people who have been bullied, maybe that's the case for some people, but for me, and I think for you, it's actually made us more empathetic. Yeah. Because to me, it's made me wonder... Okay, what what's are this you person going, going through? through? Exactly. Yeah, like, what is happening with you that you feel the need to do this to other people? Yeah, you and know? for me, it was just one of those things, like, when I felt that I was in an unsafe environment that I just told my mom, and she was like, okay, we're going to get you out of there. It mm-hmm. wasn't like, I need to gain revenge on these people. Right. That was really never my intention. I just wanted, I, don't want, I wanted to be accepted by these people. I didn't of want course. revenge. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I just wanted them to like me. You just me. wanted to have a normal school experience, yeah. you know? And I mean, thank God, my high school experience was the best. For me, that mm-hmm. was was like all I could have ever needed to make up for my school experience mm-hmm. was my high school experience. It was fantastic. Yeah, and luckily I had really good friends too who really yeah. like helped me through things. Yeah, you know? and for so. me skating was my life when I was younger. So I knew that I could have the worst day at school and come to skating and have that be like my An sanctuary for you. and yeah. to yeah. be so loved. And so look, man, great. I'm not doubting that Nicholas Cruz didn't have the amount of support that he needed. I'm no. not doubting that. That doesn't make him any less responsible for yeah. what he did. And, it's, and, and don't shift the blame onto anybody else. Yeah. It is no one else's responsibility it's kind of like when we listen to like true crime podcasts and we learn about the child's like upbringing it sucks it sucks and it's sad and and it humanizes those people so we don't see them as just monsters and i think we need to do that but you also need to see that these people have made horrible decisions with their lives to turn you're still responsible for what you are still very responsible for the choices that you make and it sucks you know sometimes it it feels like these people don't have a chance like sometimes you see it and you're like oh they Mm -hmm. they really didn't have a chance like their child biologically yeah or combinations of that you know they got hit on the head (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you had a shitty childhood you were exposed to violence you suffered a brain injury etc etc but you're still responsible for what you've done exactly and you don't get to pin the responsibility on 
anybody else for not being nice enough to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, let's we'll move, move on. on. I actually have something from Nick, for Nicholas Cruz. Go for if it. If we want to just stick on this and yeah. then move forward. Okay. Um, Nicholas Cruz is getting racy fan mail from teens. And it's creeping out his lawyer. What? That is Wait. literally the headline Let here. me see. Oh, my God. That's the funniest. Um, <laughs> it's perverted. Nicholas Cruz is getting racy. Wow. That's so yeah. funny. Lawandcrime.com says... The Parkland shooting suspect, Nicholas Cruz, is getting some naughty fan mail when he's incarcerated at Broward County Jail. Male and female admirers of different ages have been sending letters and, in some cases, pictures. Wait, you say male and female? Yes. Whoa! To Cruz. He's like, I don't want to (laughs) see... Oh, my God. Um, Or maybe he's internalized... Maybe he's homophobic. I don't don't know. know. Because he's gay. I don't know. Um... One of them says, I'm 18 years old. I'm a senior in high school. When I saw your picture on the television, something mm. attracted me to you. You're mm. not 18 if you're using on the television. On the television. Your eyes are beautiful, and the freckles on your face make you so handsome. She also noted, I'm really skinny and have 34 C breasts. Great. <laughs> Another teen sent a letter from New York with pink hearts on it saying, I know you could use a good friend right now. A Chicago woman sent Cruz a series of photos, one featuring her cleavage, another of her in a bikini eating a popsicle. Love it. another of her butt. A man with a gray mustache sent pictures of himself sitting in a convertible. Yes. This is not funny, but it is funny. It's so funny. Howard Finkelstein, the Broward County I know, um, public defender whose office is representing Cruz, said the deluge of fan mail is unlike anything he's ever encountered. In my 40 years as a public defender, I've never seen this many letters to a defendant. Everyone now and then gets a few, but nothing like this. Wait, okay, his last name is Finkelstein? Yeah. For a Christine? white supremacist dude to have an obviously super Jewish well, lawyer? And I think he's black. One of his public defenders is black. Oh, good. That's let me, great. Let me Google him really quick. Go for it. While you're um, doing that, that's fucked up and hilarious and wonderful, but not at the same time. Oh, no. He's just... He's Jewish, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's Jewish. I My friend Amalia sent me a article from BuzzFeed called Drawing the Line, the disturbing secret behind an iconic cartoon. Oh, God. Yeah, I heard about this. Robin Bird and Katie Rice were teenage Ren and Stimpy fans who wanted to make cartoons. They say they were preyed upon by the creator of the show, John, I'm going to say this wrong, Crick Falusi. I don't know. Who admitted to having had a 16-year-old girlfriend when approached by BuzzFeed News. I'm sorry. How old is he? Old. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Well, Ren and Stimpy, Stimpy I was says, watching that as a child, so yes. he's an adult. Like, yes. like he's, could be my dad, much yeah. older than me. And basically, this was even known. Like, this was known in the industry that he had a 16-year-old girlfriend. Like, she lived with him because she was like, this guy is going to, like, help my career. I guess I just kind of have to let it happen. Well, you're 16. Yeah. Well, and, like, their correspondence started when she was 13. Oh, my God. Because so, she, so he groomed her. Pretty much. She was a big fan, and she sent him some of her drawings. He responded to her. They kind of became pals. That's disgusting. She went to Los Angeles, was molested by him, and then... um it says so that was in that was when she was 16 and he was 39 that's that's gross it says soon sh- she said she began receiving boxes of toys and art supplies from 39 year old i'm gonna, just going to say k cuz i can't say his last name Crick okay. fault this guy. This guy. This this bitch. Uh, better known <laughs> as John K. There we go. I'm going to call him John K. He helped her get her first AOL account. Very 90s. 
through which he convinced her he could help her become a great artist. He visited her at the trailer park where she lived in Tucson, Arizona. I thought I was still his little cute friend, she said. And then when she was still in 11th grade, he flew her to Los Angeles to show her his studio and talk about her future. She said that on the same trip in a room with a sliding glass door that led to his pool, he touched her genitals through her pajamas as she lay frozen on a blanket he placed on the floor. Where were her parents? She was 16. I mean, it sounds like she maybe just didn't have that kind of parental Support? support. Oh, God, that's so sad. In the summer of 97, before her senior year of high school, he flew her to Los Angeles again, where Bird had the girl, Bird, had an internship at Spoomco, which was John Kay's studio, and lived with him as his 16-year-old girlfriend and intern. Nope. Yep, and then after uh, finishing her senior year in Tucson, the tiny, dark-haired girl moved in with John Kay permanently at age of 17. She told herself that John Kay was helping to launch her career. In the end, she fled animation to get away from him. Um, like, apparently it's even mentioned in, in the book of, like, the creation of Ren and Stimpy. So this is just an open secret that people just accepted in the industry. Pretty much. And then with this whole Weinstein era, it's kind of come out. What the fuck, the dude? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Honestly, like, I don't understand this. And this is something that I don't get in this industry that we are in. Where it's just kind of like an accepted, for such a long time, I mean, pre-Weinstein, it was really like kind of an accepted and okay thing to have these like young girls running around with these grown men and having these open secrets about it. Well, this is, it says, on John Kay's behalf, an attorney responded to a detailed list of allegations in this story with the following statement. The 1990s were a time of mental and emotional fragility for Mr... Crick Falusi, whatever his name is, especially for losing Ren and Stimpy, his most prized creation. Oh, cry me a goddamn river. Right, exactly. For a brief time, 25 years ago, he had a 16-year-old girlfriend. Over the years, John struggled with what were eventually diagnosed mental illnesses in 2008. To that point, for nearly three decades, he had relied primarily on alcohol to self-medicate. Since that time, he has worked feverishly on his mental health issues and has been successful in stabilizing his life over the last decade. This achievement has allowed John the opportunity to grow and mature in ways he had never had a chance before. Shut to that the I say, boo fuck fucking who? Up, shut up, dude. You're you yeah. were 39. You yeah. were talking to a 13 year old yeah. for three years. You were grooming her. Period. Yeah. Point blank. That's what you were doing. Yeah. I don't want to hear this. Like mentally ill people don't... I I hate this excuse, man. I just hate it. It's not like they all go out and develop inappropriate relationships with children. Yeah, there was also a a woman named Katie Rice, and she wanted to be an artist from the time she was in fourth grade, she says. Um, She was really into most of the cartoons that, like, you and I were into growing up, and she wrote to John Kay as well when she was around 14, and then they began corresponding over AOL. Uh, Rice said it was a source of validation for her and her family. A powerful man who had recently been nominated for an Emmy Award saw that she had potential. God, that's so tricky. Yeah. That's so hard because you just want people, I mean, at that age, like, you just want to believe that you're special and you want people to love you. Well, and, and this like, is this is what she says in her diary. She goes, I think this 40-year-old man is hitting on me, but he's never perverted. He is also very nice. He gives me a lot of drawing tips. So she was, like, kind of, like, aware that there's something weird going on here. Right, but you're you're still a child. Yeah, like, and then... And you want to believe that they're, they're interested in you because of your talent. Like, you want to believe that. Lonely in her school in Nevada, she viewed him as her only friend. He attended her 15th birthday party, which he later confirmed on a DVD extra for 2003 Ren and Stimpy reboot. 
I was at her 15th birthday party. We'll tell you that backstory a little bit later, he said with a grin. So, okay. So everything that the lawyer said is just bullshit. Yeah. Because this is predatory. Like, if you are serially going out and seeking young girls between the ages of, what, 13 and 16, like, that is predatory behavior. Yeah. And I'm not gonna believe that it's just your alcoholism that's making you seek out young girls. Like, fuck off, dude. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up, but yeah. I I so appreciate my friend for sending me this. Uh, guys, please send me stuff so I don't have to do any work. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I love reading this Look, stuff. Man. I'm trying to have a full-time job, edit this shit, deal with fucking internet trolls. It's a lot, man. It is a lot, man. But I also, I love reading this stuff, and so if you want to ever send me things, I'm so down to read them and talk about them on here. Uh, should we... What were the other things that I was Um, doing? okay, I want to bring this up really fast. Yes, and then now for, I remember what I'm going to do. For all of my fellow people who... Serial was kind of the podcast that got me into podcasts. Yeah, I, I remember that, when you were, like, getting into yeah, it. Yeah, and I think that that was the case for probably a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think that that was the first time I really ever used my podcast app, mm-hmm. um, was listening to Serial. <gasps> what is this purple Yeah, icon? I was just, like, I was listening online, and I was like, there has to be a better way. And then I was like, <laughs> That's oh, how I started listening to my is. favorite murder, too, yeah. like, on their website, and I was like, this is... Really there difficult. has to be a better way. Yeah. But for everyone else who was fascinated by the Adnan Zayed case, he um, has gotten a new trial, or mm-hmm. he will be getting a new trial. So it says, Maryland's second highest court has ruled that Adnan Sayed, whose murder conviction served as a subject for the hit podcast serial, deserves a new trial. A decision issued Thursday by the Court of Special Appeals upheld a lower court ruling that Sayed's counsel in his original murder trial was deficient and ineffective. So no matter what side of this you are on, because I have had many a debate, (laughs) and and I will not... um, I need to listen to I've listened to the first couple episodes. So good. Um, I will not... divulge my beliefs about him on this podcast. Okay. But I will say, no matter which side of the debate that you are on, I think that everyone can agree that he deserves a new trial. I think everyone can agree that his trial... It's kind of like the making a murderer thing, where it's just like, you can think he's guilty of sin, but that the way they handled that trial was like bananas and not That's cool. another thing that I got I got really bored and didn't watch it. Really? I, yeah. I watched Making a Murder. I got really into it. But that was one that pissed me off so much I could only watch like two episodes max at a time because I, I was watched like, like the first and half of the second episode and I was like this is really boring. I really? I love but shit I, like that though. But I love it. That was actually that was also at a time before I had like fully accepted my true crime nerdiness. Oh I fucking have always loved true crime. Well I mean I'm the same way but I wasn't into the documentaries as much. Oh, I liked I love to all read. That shit. I liked to read like cult books, and um, I grew up literally watching like nothing but like forensic. Fi- my my grandma used to watch Forensic Files, Law and Order. Yeah, I would watch more like fiction type crime stuff. Yeah, I love all that shit. But documentaries really, really bored me until a couple years ago. So I Making probably should go back and really watch good, it. But it's not for everybody. Like, yeah, it, I think it I'll go back get, and watch it. It does get slow. But, um, so I'm really, really excited that they've won the appeal on this. I yeah. think that it's, I think they need a new case. I, you know, what, whichever side of it you, you land on. Yeah. Whether you think he's guilty or not, I think that he deserves a new trial. That's good. That'll be interesting to, like, keep up with. Yeah. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about in a documentary that I started, haven't finished it yet, but really, really love it. It's called The Gender Revolution. It's a National National Geographic, Katie Couric documentary. It's gotten like a little bit of backlash, but I'm really enjoying it and I'm learning a lot from it. Mm Mm-hmm. And gender studies is something that I'm really interested in learning more about, especially with working with children and wanting to be a mom one day and uh-huh. like wanting to learn more about how I want to help the next generation. It's very interesting to me. So the this is an article from Flare.com, and it's like the 10 kind of made major points of the documentary. And number one is a quote from Sam Killerman, who says, Gender is who you go to bed as. Sexual orientation is who you go to bed with. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I really liked that. And he explains the difference between gender and sexual orientation in the simplest and, to be honest, best way possible, is what they say. Number two is one in 1,500 to 2,000 people are born intersex. Thing that I did not know. It says, I didn't know that either. Yeah, Couric meets Rosie, a four-year-old who was born with a uterus and ovaries but has ambiguous genitalia. Unlike huh. the majority of parents with intersex children, her parents chose, chose to forego cosmetic surgery and let Rosie decide for herself which gender she would present as. So it happens a lot, but basically what they do is they see what kind of the majority of the genitalia is or they let the parents decide or... Really, how this happens, what I've learned, is about how much or how little testosterone a baby mm-hmm. has. Because we all start as female. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how much. I, they even showed this little ruler where you basically measure the clitoris or penis of a baby. And if it's past a certain point, they're supposed to have the surgery. And if it's before, then they don't. If you're, It's weird. It's it is very, weird. very bizarre. And... It's caused a lot of strain for people growing up because sure. they're being forced to be raised as a girl when their testosterone levels are so high, and they're like, "I don't understand this. Why yeah. don't I like the same things like there, you know, girls like?" There's a really interesting case out there that I think you'd be very interested in, where there were um, twin brothers in the we talk about seventies here. Yeah, there was twin brothers in the seventies, and it was like they basically used this poor kid as like the nature versus. They nurture. talk about it. They talk about it. Yeah. In this. Yes, it's fascinating. Go ahead. Yeah, they they talk about it in this documentary, and it's this fantastic. Poor, poor guy. Like, yeah. Well, and and the guy who did the study was seen as a success and it was a complete failure. No, it was, yeah, it was absolutely a failure. This poor, poor guy. But it was seen as a a success at the time. So number three says the number of trans people in the U.S. has doubled over the last five years. There are now up to 1.4 million Americans who identify as trans. This does not mean the amount of trans people is growing but that people are more comfortable being open about their gender Mm -hmm. identity and then in parentheses they say, yes. Number four, if one identical twin is transgender, the likelihood of the other twin being trans is 40%. Couric meets Ellie, a young twin girl who identifies as trans. Although her and her twin brother were born as were both born as males, Ellie has always felt like a girl. And that's when they talk about this study. I don't remember what it's called. Maybe I'll write it in the show notes if I can remember. Um, number five says more trans people were murdered in 2016 than any other year on record. Although people are more comfortable being open about their gender identity, trans people are still at extremely high risk of physical and sexual assault and murder. Yeah. As we can even see in our comments Yeah, section. and I think that that's an important thing to bring up because yesterday, in real time, today is the 1st of um, April. Happy Easter to anybody who happy celebrates. Happy April Fool's Day. Um, happy ha- April Fool's Day. Happy 104th birthday, Grandma. 
but yesterday was Trans Day of Visibility, and yep. and people might wonder why do trans people need a day of visibility, and it's because they are the most targeted group, yep. and they are a very suppressed group in our yep. society, so... Number six says the unemployment rate among trans people is twice the national average, which is bonkers. I believe that for sure. Yeah. Kirk meets Michaela Mendelssohn, a trans owner of six El Pollo Loco fast food franchises. Mendelssohn is committed to hiring more trans people at her restaurants to help turn those horrendous employment stats around. Number seven says high school students can have a big impact. Gavin Grimm is one of the bravest high school students in North America. In the doc, we hear about how Grimm addressed his entire local school board about his right to use the boys' bathroom. Grimm's case is now being taken to the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Parentheses, Q tears. (laughs) (laughs) Number eight, there's lots of terms we need to start using to be inclusive as possible. Kirk sits down with, a col- with college students who explain some modern gender identities, including cisgender, someone who identifies with the gender they were given at birth, pangender, someone who identifies with a wide range of genders, mm-hmm. gender fluid, someone whose gender varies over time, AFAB, assigned female at birth, AMAB, assigned male at birth. Didn't know those last Didn't two. Didn't either. There are many different types of trans... Oh, this is number nine. There are many different types of transgender expressions all over the world. An anthropologist explains that there are many other cultures, including Samoan, Mexican, and Indian, that have three recognized and celebrated genders. Number 10, millennials are changing the game. In the doc, 24-year-old transparent star Hari Neff sits down with retired trans tennis player Renee Richards to talk gender identity. Although they are both trans activists, activists, the two get into a bit of a disagreement. 82-year-old Richards believes gender roles are binary, while Neff believes they are fluid. Yeah, that's interesting. It is definitely a thing we see more. I mean, we talked about this in um, the fourth wave episode, that it is something that we see more acceptance of in the fourth wave, Mm -hmm. meaning recent times. Very. This idea of gender fluidity, both within, you know, the trans community and outside of it, you know? It's still such a small community, though, because, I mean, trans and gender... I guess conversations are things that I I don't have as many conversations with people about because it scares me what I'm going to hear, first of all. Well, and and it scares me to think of saying the wrong... I I get worried about saying the wrong thing because it's not something that directly affects my life in that way. helps me a lot. But I also have... um, I have a friend who is going through a transition right now Mm -hmm. to be a... What what is it? If they're a trans male, yes. Trans male. Born female. Born female, yes. See? Exactly. Working on it. Yeah, no, we are working on it. But it's interesting because it's one of those things that, like, I just feel so strongly about people being able to be whoever they want to be. And, like, it scares me to, like, I don't want to hear somebody, like, bash on that because it's just going to break my heart. Makes yeah, but angry. I mean that 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 is the reality of the world that we live in, and that is what we're facing right now. And it's, um, I think it's it's been interesting for us because we have been getting so many comments and things like that on our Instagram, but I think it's important to see that, yeah. like because my friend commented on a post that I made on my Facebook about the comments that we were getting on Instagram, mm-hmm. and you know said, "Oh, you guys are so brave! I couldn't do something like that." Yeah, and I, and I know what she's saying, and. I love her, and I, I know that she's saying that, like, she she is someone who I've had a conversation with who actively avoids um, yeah. reading comments and things like that. 
I, although they upset me very much, do not do yeah. that it's because important I think to know. it's important to see it. I think it's important to see. It's that important. I like, don't feel like you have to read every comment no. because it oh, can no. put you into a pit of depression. And, and like just to make it very clear, I respect other people's beliefs that they don't they don't want to read that stuff. You yeah. know, because you, we all have to do what we have to do for our mental well being to make it through the day. Um, yeah, to make it through, but. For me, personally, I try to actively read things like that, and it sucks, and it feels terrible, but we need to acknowledge that these people exist, because mm-hmm. how are we going to combat it? Yeah. <laughs> like they And they truly do believe this, you know, like, which to me, I don't get it, because I'm just like, man, they're not hurting you. It's not yeah. affecting you in any way, in a negative way, so yeah. why can't you just let them live their truth and live their best life? I, I agree. I fully, fully agree. Um, there was something else that you were going to touch on that was similar. I was. Let me just touch on this really quickly, and then we can end with something really lighthearted and wonderful, because this is not so lighthearted and wonderful. Oh, good. But since we are in LGBTQ corner right now, yep. um, LGBTQ advocacy groups are outraged after proposed questions regarding sexual orientation and gender identity were quickly removed Tuesday from a just-released draft of the 2020 U.S. Census. So... I guess what was going to happen is they were going to include LGBTQ categories onto the next census. The Census Bureau was going to do that. Tuesday's initial release from the Census Bureau proposed including lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people on both surveys for the census records Mm -hmm. in 2020. And recently, I guess they've they've withdrawn that. So... Mm those will no longer be options, which is very interesting to me since we were just talking about transgender communities. Yeah. What do you do Yeah. if you're not allowed... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, how... If you haven't legally changed your gender or legally changed your name yet... Yeah. But you fully identify as your... And there's some people that don't want to or feel the need to yeah. like, legally change so that stuff. You, but, you, but you're not going to be recognized. Yeah. Like, you're essentially just not going to be seen. You know what I mean? And that's got to be really difficult and terrible. But, well, and then um, that's good that that's something that we need to be aware of and fight against as yeah. much as we can. Yeah, so that's from NBC News is where I got that. But I, I can imagine how crushingly devastating it is. Yeah. I'm sure people have been advocating for that for a long time, and then they thought they were going to get it, and then the rug was kind of pulled out from underneath them. Yeah. But, okay. So On a last positive note, yes. I saw Love, Simon this yeah. the past couple of days. I've I been wanting it. to see it so it looks, it looks adorable. It's so sweet. Yeah. And, you know, the love story is great, but that's just, like, a little added something. It's like icing it's, on the cake. It is. It's it's about, like, oh, there's just this, this monologue of Jennifer Garner where she's just saying, like, you're still you, and you've been holding your breath for so long. Yeah, you I just that, need to exhale. I saw that in the ad. I just was sobbing just because just thinking of all of the kids out there who yeah. just need acceptance but especially kids who are gay because at first I'm like this is a white kid like from suburbia who's like Sometimes pretty that well make it off. Harder, you know? exactly and then I'm seeing where it's like also in the movie I'm not gonna spoil it I'm not gonna say anything because just watch the movie it's fantastic it's so well done the characters are fantastic. The story is great. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. It'll make you feel uncomfortable. It's great. And I feel like people of in the LGBTQ plus community can really, mm-hmm. really connect to it. And I think that for people who aren't, it normalizes the something different than just like 
the hetero romance. Yeah. Like, when I have children, I want them to be able to watch things that show different lifestyles and different types of romance. And, like, this is the only movie I can really show yeah. them that can be like, look, well, and I think this it- is normal, and it's the same as when a girl falls in love with a guy, when a guy falls in love with another guy. It's exactly the yeah. same and beautiful. And I think it can also help people relate to it in a more personal way. Because exactly. we all remember... Whether you're straight, gay, you know, black, white, we all remember being in high school and being and in kind of in love with and, and having a crush on somebody and yeah. feeling awkward and dealing with things that are like you don't know who you are yet. And yeah. I think that those are universal truths. Or maybe like for him, you know, he talks about just wanting things to be the same for a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's like maybe when I'm in college, things you know, I'll yeah. come out. And, and for a lot of people, so, that's what it is. That is you what know? it is. Yeah. And so to see him Gosh, kind of go yeah. through that, it's Oh, it's such a good movie, and I made a post the other day on our Instagram that says, with $25 million and counting, Love, Simon, proving resilient at box office. Yeah, I think that's beautiful, and I really, really hope that eventually we get to a point, and I know we're still far away from that, and I can trick myself into believing that... um, we are we are close to it not being a big deal for people to come out, but I know because of what I just said, having read comments and things like yeah. that, I do know that we are far away from that yeah. still. But, but it's great I, that it's a it's a major studio yeah. that has taken this movie on. It's not like this little and I hope, indie thing. It, this is a major studio who is like, yeah, let's tackle this subject. Yeah, I think that it's people like that. It's the people who are in power who are wanting to make the world a better place and to make change are the people who are really important. And I truly applaud everyone who is involved in that movie. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I agree. And I, I'm so grateful that I think we're moving closer and closer towards it being a very destigmatized and maybe even celebrated thing whenever your child, uh, you know, trusts you enough to come out to you and be honest. And that this is just part of, who they are. Yeah. And, and it's that's a beautiful thing. It's something I tell all the kids that I have in my life where I'm like, you guys, like, you're the ones that are going to make the real change. Like, we're trying our best to set things up for you, but, like, you guys are our future. Well, you guys are the ones who yeah, I can see just I taking agree. the groundwork that, you know, people like you and I are setting up and they're going to take off with it. Well, and I think when people like you and I start having kids, I mean, I think whenever the millennials, because millennials are slow to have children. This has been all over the news. Yep. Like, we are slow to have kids. And I think when millennials really start having kids in force is when we're going to start seeing the next generation changing. Because Let's populate, guys. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't, I, guys, I don't it's know. It's a lot of money and I'm wrong. I, that's a problem. Like, yeah. That's part of the problem. Give me money and I'll make babies. Sound yeah. good? Money, please. Give me a house. Give please. me a house. Give me a nice yard and I'll make you a baby. Yeah, a really cute multicultural baby. Yeah, both, it's both gonna of us be great. are going to have it's gonna very be cute multicultural children. And they're going to be little feminists. Very besties. excited. Okay, well, um, this mini episode is almost as long as this week's episode. But you know what? This week's episode was short. This week's episode was short. Um, so. so and we had a lot to say this episode, okay? We did. Listen. It's fine. It's fine. Stop. Stop. Leave Stop us alone. Stop being mad at me. Yeah. My God. God. Stop yelling at me, Mom. Hostile. Okay. I'm going to my room. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, with that, we... Encourage you to, to rage, rage on. on. Let's never do it like that again. That was horrible. Was what were, you, were you trying to do like the you I say one thing, I, I say know. the other? Let's I don't know not, what we were doing. Let's not... What we were doing. What you were doing. <laughs> hey, uh-uh. You played with me. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.